Success by the world standards is a real danger if you do not have the inner life to support it. It's the worst thing that can happen to a young leader is to be, quote, successful. If they don't have the inner life to support it, because at some point you don't have the, the foundation to support it. Have you ever had a much needed wake up call? I feel like I had that twice, actually, from the same person. Today's guest, Pete Scazzaro, has written about emotional health. And honestly, the first time I read it, it rocked me. I picked up the Emotionally Healthy Church and I realized that there was thinking underneath my living and my leadership and my ministry that was just off. And he shares his story. He was so real in that book and it really woke me up and I needed that. Then several years later, I picked up the book again and realized the pace I was running at was just unrealistic. I could not keep up the pace. And God has used Pete in my life and the life of so many other leaders to really wake us up, a much needed wake up call. So if you think something may be off underneath the heart of your leadership, keep listening today. This is an incredible episode, and I'm so glad to have Pete on the podcast. Before we get started today, I want to talk about something that I am personally really pumped about and our team has worked really hard on. Several years ago, I realized that there was nothing that could keep me going down the road and keep me healthy each day. What do I mean by that? I was looking for some kind of journal, something that I could write in every single day that could focus me for the day. I struggle a little bit or more than a little bit with structure in my life. And how do I plan for my day, and then actually execute that. And the same thing for my week. How do I plan for my week and actually execute that? So we looked around, we didn't find it, and so we decided that we were going to launch a journal at Stay Forth. So this journal has made its way into what we call the Right Side Up Journal. Now, from the time we had this idea and said, we're going to go for it, it took us about a year to be able to get this off the ground. And guys, we are really proud of this journal. It's not too late in the year to start. It's actually a perfect timing for you to pick this up. At the time of this recording, it's February. Maybe you haven't met some of your goals. Maybe you're frustrated. Leaders that I coach and talk to all the time say, how do I actually get done what I want to get done? There's so much going on today. And if you're a leader, you're listening to this, you have some level of overwhelm in your life. So we want to help focus you this year about 10 minutes a day will literally save your life. It's sitting right in front of me right now. I use it each morning and then I prep for the week and it takes me about 30 minutes. And that has been a game changer for my life and leadership. So I want to invite you to go to rightsideupjournal.com. Take a look at that. There's a beautiful sleeve that comes along with it. So guys, for just 20 bucks, you can focus your leadership for the next three months. It's a three-month journey. By the way, it also gets you into our Right Side Up community where we offer free tools. We interact together. We just have a great group of people there in that closed Facebook group. would love to have you come along for that. You can grab a journal or just take a look at it at rightsideupjournal.com. That's rightsideupjournal.com. So I jokingly have called Pete the godfather of healthy church leadership. I mean, he was talking and writing about this when nobody else was, and I'm so grateful. We actually offered a Right Side Up award to the church that he led, New Life Fellowship in Queens, New York, and has since passed that on, a very healthy succession plan. You can hear about that in episode 56 with Rich Viotas, who now is a lead pastor of New Life. I admire so much Pete's story, his candor, his honesty. Guys, these are a gift to kingdom leaders 
today. So keep listening today. Keep your eyes, ears, and hearts open for this podcast and enjoy this interview with Pete Scazzaro. Guys, this is a special episode of the podcast today. We have Pete Scazzaro on the podcast, and Pete has just been so formational to so many leaders. He's written The Emotionally Healthy Church, which personally woke me up in many ways. I recommend it to a lot of different leaders, um, pastored for many years in Queens, New York, and is doing all things emotionally healthy, and it really is working on his next project, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Uh, Pete, so honored to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Alan. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, much of your story in Emotionally Healthy Church uh, has been really helpful, and, and your journey has kind of woken up and given a paradigm shift to many other leaders. Um, can you share uh, just a, a smidge of that journey and as well, really, that moment where your wife is realizing this isn't working anymore, Pete? Yeah, so, you know, my journey is probably pretty classic. I mean, I, uh, you know, planted our church here in New York City in 1987 and lots of vision, you know, lots of dreams and uh, planted church that will plant churches. And uh, I knew the best of discipleship that was out there and, you know, been to great seminaries and all leadership conferences and read all the books that were out there. And, uh, but within six, seven years, it was clear that, uh, you know, the yoke of Jesus felt very hard and difficult and the joy of Jesus was no longer my joy. I mean, I was serving him faithfully as a good soldier, but didn't necessarily feel like a, you know, ever joyful son. So, uh, began to get, you know, very tired, uh, knew something was wrong, wasn't sure what it was. And, and then, um, I think just the bruises and beatings of, you know, we planted at that point three, four churches and had a split in one of our congregations and just found myself angry and bitter. And I think, you know, God was getting my attention. Uh, um, marriage wasn't going well. Jerry was lonely. And through all that, I uh, really hit a wall uh, and was at it probably for two years, 94, 96, and trying to really wrestle with something's deeply wrong with evangelicalism. Uh, people are not changing deeply. It's very shallow, superficial. And I was doing everything I knew, uh, everything from signs and wonders, prophetic, you know, more of the word, you know, small groups, worship nights, you name it, we did it, deliverance. But uh, people just weren't changing deeply and we were recycling a lot of the same old problems. And so uh, that wall finally culminated in uh, Jerry. Uh, at that point, we had four small girls saying to me, uh, no, I'm not climbing the next mountain. You know, I'm finished. I quit. And uh, she quits and decides I'm going to go to another church because uh, I'm not going to participate in this, you know, she called it just craziness, you know, and growing church people, you know, good things are happening on Sundays, but uh, Monday to Sunday, Saturday, just, it wasn't all it appeared to be in terms of really a lot of the folks in leadership, uh, you know, we weren't necessarily living out everything we were saying. We were exhausted, going too fast. And of course, when you're growing fast, you, you, you have people with gifts and anointings that you let things slide a bit, maybe on small areas, because they're gifted, anointed, and help build the thing. So anyway, she quits, and that went all, you know, all, it all came crumbling down. And But God met us at that time in, in a very powerful way. And... Uh, 
And that's when it really came together. And I understand for two years, I'd been wrestling with, you know, what's missing, what's wrong. And looking at things like grief and loss and family of origin and genograms and limits. And, you know, God was opening up a bunch of areas to me, just wasn't coming together. And, and then I, that's when I realized, okay, I am an emotional infant leading a church and trying to raise up mothers and fathers of the faith. And I'm kidding myself. And so that's when I saw that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity, you, you can't separate the two. And, uh, we just, I, I, you know, we let all the spiritual immaturity go, emotional immaturity go on and yet consider people spiritually mature. And that's ridiculous. And starting with me. And, uh, that was, that was a revolution. That was a, a true operate, a new, you know, a new paradigm, uh, uh, going after character, life, who you are, not what you do first. And that was a revolution. And so that we got, began to, I think, in, you know, begin at 96, we changed and began to take a sabbatical and began to live life very differently and then began to slowly bring it into our church. And uh, now it's, you know, 24 years later and we call it emotionally healthy discipleship, but it was a, a, a just an, a, a whole new theology. I'd say that began to gradually unfold. And it, it's kind of like, we kind of like Paul, we did, we did theology in context here in Queens, New York out of our church. And it's been a wonderful, fantastic uh, journey, but it came out of, great pain. Uh, and, but I'm very grateful by the grace of God to be standing, uh, joyful, you know, happily married, you know, and, and, uh, it's been a great journey. I love pastoring, leading, uh, being a father, husband, it's been wonderful, uh, wonderful journey. So, but it came out of great pain. Well, I'm so grateful for your honesty. And I know just many leaders I've sent this book to, and sent them to go find your story. God's used that in, in so many people's lives. So I'm, I'm so grateful for the timing of that. I'm so grateful. The church seems to be waking up um, to this idea of emotional maturity and not disconnecting that from spiritual maturity. This was quite a journey for you before you wrote this book, right? Wasn't it a, about a decade? You're just going yeah. through this privately before you publicly wrote and spoke on it? Yeah, uh, I actually, uh, you know, I, I in a sense had all the ideas, you know, uh, but a good friend wisely said, don't write anything, just live it. Let it age like good wine, which we did. And, uh, and then it was actually seven or eight years later, we actually wrote our first book, Emotionally Church. And, uh, you know, then it followed into Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Leader and other things. But, but it was, it, it, we, we've kind of writing our books unfolding out of our journey and making sure we lived it first and not writing anything we didn't live. And that's been very important. Because uh, it's very tempting when you write to spin things, and uh, we just made a commitment not to do that. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's been it's been very slow and solid, but I wouldn't do it any other way. And who helped you through your journey after hitting that, you know, hit the wall moment? Uh, well, it was initially a, uh, a therapist. A, a couple of therapists. Uh, that's what we really, that's where God met us. I mean, it was so interesting because I came from a really excellent into varsity Christian fellowship, evangelical, tremendous in so many areas, uh, Bible study. Uh, again, I consider seminary was, was a gift. And, uh, but what was lacking was a discipleship in, I would call it the emotional component of who we are. And uh, we don't, we just don't, for a variety of reasons, we don't touch that area. And it goes back to Augustine, goes back to, you know, Neoplatonism has deep roots. 
Uh, and then also, uh, it, the whole journey led me into a much broader ecumenical space of learning from church history, Roman Catholics, Orthodox, and in particular, monasticism. I would say one of the unique features of what, we're, what we've done is bring the riches of the Desert Fathers and monasticism into 21st century missional evangelical life. Uh, but we had to leave our tradition for that. So you, you can't separate the, it's, it's both the emotional health piece and everything from learning to feel, becoming a loving person, grief, loss, again, something called genograms, going back to your family of origin, how it's impacted you. So it's all that material, but it's also the material of, of being grounded in silence and solitude and, uh, a rule of life and some of the riches, not just of adding a few spiritual disciplines, but the, the radical edge that monasticism brings to the table. I am convinced and have been convinced for decades now uh, is what leaders need. Uh, we're not just, we're not just playing around with, Oh, spend a little more time with Jesus in the morning, uh, but a complete shift in the way that you follow Jesus and understand your identity and what it means to be a leader uh, in the church. Well, and I know some of that radical piece is just in being uh, incessant about your staff uh, taking Sabbath. And I'm so grateful for that. And Rich came on the podcast and is so um, honoring to you and to the succession story. But that's something that really stuck out to me is you will Sabbath if you pastor here. We need that kind of, if you call that radical or not, we need that kind of intensity around that. Um, Pete, in the Emotionally Healthy Church, you say the overall health of any church or ministry depends primarily on the emotional and spiritual health of its leadership. In fact, the key to successful spiritual leadership has more to do with the leader's internal life than with the leader's experience, gifts, or expertise. Why do we pay very little attention to the internal life as leaders? <laughs> well, again, I, I can say that differently, and... and uh... As well, it's a great quote. I'm surprised I wrote it. Such a good quote. Uh, it's brilliant. You know, Pete. Who you are is more important than what you do. You cannot give what you do not possess. You can only give what you do possess. And the state you are in is a state you give to other people. Um, and uh, you know the reason we don't do it is because the culture doesn't do it. I mean, the culture is the American culture is about being popular, being spectacular. It's what we do. It's, uh, it's about numbers and evangelicalism. We are, are the church. We just bought it. And, and the whole culture is, is external. And, and to build an internal life where we're being changed, that requires slowing down uh, in order to go forward. And if I could say the essence of what we've got to do is slow people down, to be reflective, to be thoughtful, to be prayerful, uh, to be willing to do the inner journey necessary to have an outer journey that has some power to it. You know, and I've ever heard the quote, I think it was from Parker Palmer. If we skimp, skimp, S-K-I-M-P on our inner life, our outer life will suffer as well. And I, I think that we've got a, a, a culture, and I would say American Christianity is bought into it, that is so hyper-focused on externals. Know, growing the church, multiplying churches, building your business, your nonprofit, whatever it might be, expansion, that uh, your inner life, your inner life is, is secondary. And that's, it's so contrary to scripture. Uh, 
it's contrary to the whole understanding of what it means to be a, a leader. Uh, look at Moses, you look at Nehemiah, you look at Jesus, you look at John the Baptist. I mean, we just go down the road here. It's who you are. Uh, it's your person from which power flows. It's not your gifting. Uh, you can download a great sermon from the internet, uh, you know, and, and you could be a tremendous speaker. Uh, it's funny, my wife has a little less patience than I do, you know, and she's just like, I just, you know, it's so interesting because a young generation, uh, in a sense has similar idolatry to my generation's idolatry of, again, measuring success by externals, whether it's popularity, whether it's, um, you know, people's opinions and impact and all that. And, 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 but they're very slick about it. You know, young generation is slick. They're, they're incredibly smart and, and, great communicators and, you know, since very adept at social media and tweets and great one-liners and, but it's smoke and mirrors and it's the same smoke that we were dealing with 30 years ago and nothing's really changed. It's exactly what you're dealing with, right? It's the slow inward journey that people got to go on. That's going to bring power in the outer work. It's just, it's just, it's a mustard seed. It's imperceptible. It's almost invisible. And, it takes faith to go that direction. Well, Pete, one of the things you talk about, these lies um, that we wrestle with, is the more I suffer for Christ, the more he would love me. So why is that attitude so prevalent in ministry? Kind of the scarcity mentality, the suffer for Jesus mentality. Why is it so prevalent? Well, I know where I got mine from. I think it was passed on to me from generation to generation. Uh, uh, again, when you think about, you have to understand, we come from a history uh, of, you know, since evangelicalism in particular, you know, goes back, <coughs> excuse me, you know, has a history of, you know, get, you know, burnout for God and uh, of people burning out their marriages, their families, their lives. Uh, the stories of scandals has been going on since I became a Christian, it's been 43, 44 years. I mean, seriously, I mean, there, it's, it's not a new thing. And if you go back in our history, it, it's, it's been going on a very, very long time. It's not new. And so this idea of suffering and giving your all, you can enjoy, you can enjoy life when you get to heaven. It's, it's a bad, first of all, it's a wrong theology. Uh, it really it, it disrespects and misrepresents the sovereignty of God. Uh, Jesus was very relaxed uh, in his ministry. I like that word. He was relaxed and he was able to, even when people were abandoning him in great numbers, like in John chapter six, thousands left, he was relaxed because he understood that the father was in, in control of the mission and he wasn't looking at short-term quick results. And may it was down to 12, one of which was Judas, but he was relaxed and he wasn't going to make a plan to rush to Jerusalem and do some miracles to get the numbers back up. Uh, but again, we're not, it, it's a theology of, there, you know, there's good suffering and there's stupid suffering. Stupid suffering is when we're just disobedient, making plans without God, you know, working 80 hours a week. That's just, you know, there's consequences to that. That's just stupid. But then there's, there's certain suffering that comes with the gospel, which is a good suffering. And that's just, you know, that's just a, and you gotta be able to distinguish the two. And I, most of my suffering pre-emotionally healthy discipleship was just stupid suffering. Uh, and I would say that whole theology of the more you suffer, the more God will love you. Uh, what I was just, that was bad teaching and it needed to be countered act it's really another gospel. God loves us period without us performing or doing anything. And that's why you need a lot of time 
to be with Jesus and be with yourself so that you're actually living in the love of God. That's the center of everything. And it all flows out of that abiding or loving union with Jesus. Uh, uh, that without that center is we end up off track. We end up in trouble. What's interesting, Pete, when I, however you would put those words in language, um, I think I accidentally in my heart thought in surrendering to be a pastor, right? We always use that word surrender. In surrendering to be a pastor, I thought I was going to be poor and stressed the rest of my life. And I never would have said those words, but I thought that's sort of the calling that, you know, I was owning, right? That's sort of what the church honored and and what it took. And then obviously peeling back the layers and realizing that, that that's unhealthy and no wonder I was nearly burned out a couple years in. Um, that's helpful, Pete. Thanks, thanks for shedding a light on that. When a leader realizes they have an internal issue, what should they do? Give them some practical next steps. When they realize they have an internal issue, I would say you got. I, I, you got. You need a. You need like an army of people around you. Okay. In other words, <laughs> it, 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 it's. I think let's go to Matthew five three. I'm broken in spirit. I'm like I'm desperate. So the question is, when I realize you know something's internally wrong, well, the question is, what level of understanding of that do you do have? And I'd say. When you get to a place where you realize, oh my God, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm desperate here. Now you're in a good place. And, you know, God's got a different path for each of us. And I, but I like to say there's an assortment of people you probably need, depending on your responsibilities. You know, my case as a pastor, I, I needed a number of things. And when I needed a therapist, I, an excellent therapist, um, I need to work on my marriage because if you're not living in your marriage, uh, you know, leading out of your marriage is a big thrust for us. I don't know if you've read Alan, the emotionally healthy leader. Uh, but it's a big piece for us. Of what are those internal issues that have to be addressed? And one is you face your shadow. You're getting aware of, again, of how your family of origins impacted you, your shadow. And the second is that you're, you're leading out of a marriage or a singleness that's a sign and wonder for Christ. So you actually have a, a quality in your marriage that is, is really a taste of heaven. That, that takes a lot of work. And our marriage was not that. We were a functional marriage. And so that needed work. And then you know, I slowed down for loving union with Jesus. So I had a therapist. I had end up going in a spiritual direction. I, I believe in coaching. I've had coaches along the way. That's an excellent. I know you're providing that service. That's a, I think that's an important piece as well. And um, I had some, you know, peers and on a journey with me. And so I was, res- I, I, you know, I was resourcing myself in a variety of ways. And I have been ever since I got on this journey since 1996. I'm const- my wife and I are constantly learning and growing um, and experiencing transformation in Jesus. Uh, and so when you real, I mean, so I recognize I always have internal issues, right? I always want to be being transformed by Jesus. Uh, but uh, so I would say when you realize you've got one, depending on the nature of the issue, um, you got to get some help. And I would say pretty much for every pastor and leader, it's, it's important that you're, you're one of the most self-aware people walking around. So I know therapy is going to be a piece of that. I, I, I think spiritual direction, slowing down for some of the, you know, monastic, you know, slowing down to be with Jesus is really core and, you need outside people to kind of provide an overview for you and speak into sometimes the craziness that we're living. And sometimes it's obvious for us people just looking in. I, and I, I coach and mentor people all the time. And I'm like, hello, you know what I mean? Like, hello, Jerry and I can say this, if we can get the spouse in the room in particular, we'll get to the truth real fast, you know, and just ask yep. the spouse, how are you? How are you? And yep. uh, it all, it all comes out there. And, and, that's why we're pretty much we're mentoring folks. We're, we're, we're going to, at some point we're going to, we're going to get the marriage in the room. 
because mm-hmm. you, you've got to connect with, if they're married, with that spouse. How do you think social media is affecting Christian leaders today, Pete? Well, you know, I, you know, I'm on social media, and I and I I think it's a great tool to mentor, but obviously, it's very addictive, and it just feeds into uh, being noticed by other people, and it's very dangerous, also. So, I think you've got to set again good parameters and boundaries around it uh, for yourself uh, within your within your work life, um, and so I do Twitter, and you know, I do Facebook. Uh, for me, it's part of my mentoring. So it's part of my work. I don't do it on Sabbath. I don't do it on vacation. Uh, I do Instagram more personal family, you know, and, uh, but it, you know, it, it's controlled, uh, but I see and have, ex- and have felt the addictive nature of it. Um, but my, again, my value and worth, just like it's not based on the size of my ministry or church, it's not based on number of followers or likes, right. Or, books sold or something like that. Again, all that external stuff. That's why it takes a lot of work, interior work to be a leader with, of integrity. It's not easy. And, and I, I don't think the temptations we're facing are that different than they have been for all of history. I, I, the three temptations that came against Jesus in the world, in, in the desert, I, I'm really convinced that they, they, they go back to the garden and they are the primary temptations that come over and over again to every leader in different forms. You know, turn these stones to bread, do it now. You know, do, do, you know, do something like quick and do it sensationally. You've got, you have the ability to do something and you do it. But just the fact that you can do it doesn't mean it's God's will for you. You know, and then jump down from the temple and all believe in you, you know, and quoting scripture inappropriately and trying to get popularity and wanting people to like me. And then this whole thing of, you know, bow to me for a moment. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth and kind of doing God's work, but not God's way. And uh, that's what's coming to us all. Those temptations are so deep. And uh, so, yeah, social media is like probably one of the biggest manifestations of being seduced by the evil one. But at the same time, it's a great tool uh, that can be used to really be a blessing and a gift. And I think, again, part of our leadership is modeling how we do social media. And I have felt the temptation sometimes to jump on an, an, a social issue or a political issue because you'll get – I see watch people do it. And they get, a, you get a, you know, you know, many, 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 many hundreds of retweets or all this activity <laughs> and followers. And I watch people do it and I, I get sad for them and I say it's just – they don't understand they're being seduced, and uh, uh, it's just dangerous. Just like getting well-known and success by the world standards is a real danger if you do not have the inner life to support it. It's the worst thing that can happen to a young leader is to be, quote, successful if they don't have the inner life to support it because at some point you're, you don't have the, the foundation to support it, and uh, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to find you out and uh, – it's a dangerous place to be in. So that's always a great concern I have is a long term. Are we building something that's going to go beyond us for the next generation and the next generation after that? You know, is the fruit that we're bearing going to go beyond our lifetime? Uh, these are the kind of important questions we want to ask, not like how many followers did I get this week on Twitter you know, or Facebook? Yeah, that's right. That's a great question, Pete. Is Like, is this fruit that's going to leave a legacy or is this just me wanting something right now in the moment uh, we have a growing number of young leaders and what's interesting is that book in the name of jesus that talks about those three temptations um you know perhaps henry nowen's best 
uh, so relevant to today. I recommended that to so many leaders and a lot of young leaders listen to this podcast. So what would you tell 25-year-old Pete? Where I was at 25, uh, I would definitely said Pete, uh, one is, you know, at that point I was emotionally very unaware. Uh, my discipleship had not gotten into my inner life, my family of origin impact. It was all in my, a lot was in my head. It was all doing, I was a doing machine. I was a leader. I was, I was, you know, traveling all over campuses, doing evangel, open air evangelism in New York city and New Jersey. I was at that point, I think I joined, I'd gone to Princeton seminary and then Gordon Conwell seminary was getting my degree. I mean, I was moving fast. So one, I, I, I really needed to uh, get out of my head and not write another paper, uh, but actually begin to feel and get in my heart what's going on. Uh, I, needed, I needed some mentoring for sure. I needed some therapy, absolutely. And I needed to get out of the evangelical um, drivenness that I was surrounded by growing churches. Everything was spectacular. At that point, Vineyard was big and signs and wonders and, oh gosh. And really I, I could have used a good couple of weeks at a Trappist monastery to detox in silence would have been so good for me. And uh, really do probably a novitiate in a, in a monastery to listen to God and get anchored. That's what I needed. Really. I, I needed, uh, I needed to, to not focus on my head learning, but on my heart uh, knowing of Jesus in a different way. And then when I started our church, I was 31. So I was, you know, a little bit later when I started new life, uh, fellowship church, but, uh, I was so immature. Uh, and so by the grace of God, I made it, you know, and got the help. And again, that's why I want to help young leaders because I, I know that I'm standing here. I'm 63 now and I feel like I'm flourishing, but, uh, you know, I almost didn't make it and I could have been another casualty. And I have lots of friends who started with me who are no longer standing. Uh, and that's tragic. And I know it's only by the grace of God that, uh, you know, I am where I am today. So I'm deeply, deeply grateful to God for his grace. So perhaps you wouldn't have said anything to young Pete. You would have kidnapped him and taken him to a Trappist monastery dropping him off. Uh, it sounds like you needed that encounter and that, that kind of slowing down. Um, thanks for that, Pete. Very grateful for you sharing it. I don't think you need to crash. And I've watched many young leaders. There is no reason you have to quote crash to get it. I mean, I, I, I watch young leaders. It's how we're being formed, right? How we're being formed as leaders when we're young. And I think the formation of how we're doing is what needs to shift. Uh, and the operating system is now my, my image I've been using is the, the operating system we have and how we're doing leadership in church. It, it, it can't, it can't absorb the reality. And, and we need a new operating system, like move from windows to Mac or Mac to windows, like an entirely new operating system. And, uh, and so it, it's a bottom up or top bottom. It's a total shift of how we're following Jesus. And um, I'm really convinced that that it needs to be that significant, a shift in young leaders' lives. Uh, If we're going to develop people who make disciples and make disciples long-term in the church. So as people are shifting in that operating system, Pete, I love that analogy. It's going to take some time. It can be disorienting. You're going to fumble around a little bit when you're shifting yeah. the way of thinking and living. What struggles should leaders expect 
on that road to health? It's gonna, like you said, it's going to take time. It's disorienting. Uh, it's confusing. Um, that's what you can expect. Uh, you're going to need time to find your way. It's going to be very uncomfortable because you have to get outside of a tight box of who you learn from. So you'll learn from some people perhaps who are not as, you know, theologically conservative as you are, you know, or, or, or necessarily evangelical. That's hard initially. Um, and, but, the, you know, God's got truth coming from Roman Catholics and Orthodox and church history in the Middle Ages, you know, and the early Desert Fathers. And, you know, it's being able to learn and be open from some streams outside of yourself. <clears throat> and change is hard, period. The change we're talking about here is like that new operating system. That, that's significant. We're wired not to change. <laughs> We're wired for that stability. That's um, so, Pete, if you could go back to your books, any of your books, and and make some additions for 2020, what would they be? How would you update those messages for this moment we're in right now? I think I'm a lot. I, I, my update would be more blunt and more crystal clear in terms of you need to reject the Americanized Jesus. Uh, and follow the crucified Jesus. Um, and he is your life, not ministry, not leadership, not church, Jesus. And to, to this is that, that you know, Psalm 27, four is like my life is like, you know, to me, the verse of leadership is where David <clears throat> says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and seek him in his temple. To me, that's a leader. Uh, he's not worried about the armies attacking him. If you read the context of Psalm 24, he's got, you know, armies besieging him, but he's, <clears throat> he's anchored. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, I think, revolutionary internal shift that leaders need to make as we move into the 21st century, which is just incredibly secular, you know, post, post-Christianity. You know, we're in a you know, new pagan society, you know, not pre uh, Christendom, you know, or post-Christendom. So it's, it's similar to the paganism of the Roman Empire. So when they did, you know, discipleship and formation, they had a catechumenate, right, for the, in the early centuries because they needed disciples who were grounded enough to be able to withstand the persecutions and not be lapsing into, you know, denying Christ. And, you know, they were dealing with such challenges. People were coming out of such paganism. Well, it's really similar today that we've got to do a level of discipleship with people that's much greater than just, you know, except Jesus and here we are, everything's fine. Like, no, this is like, be a disciple. This is a big thing. And, and then, and actually then for us as leaders, leadership is basically intensive discipleship. I, I, I look at leadership as high level discipleship, um, but it's all discipleship. And my discipleship was inadequate, even though I was pastoring a church. And <clears throat> so I had to go back and, and fill in those gaps in my discipleship. And, and uh, that's to me what I want to give my life to is, is helping filling in those missing pieces of discipleship for leaders and for the church so that we are really creating a sustainable um, church for the next generation and the generation after that. Oh, that's so needed, filling in the discipleship gaps today. Uh, There's a lot that gives us concern, obviously, in leadership culture today and among Christian leaders, but what gives you hope for the church today, Pete? Oh, I have so much hope because I, I, you know, God is, God is raising up a, you know, every generation, a whole new leader, leaders to, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm like Moses, you know, I, I, at the promised land, I I can see at the Jordan river, 
I can see the promised land. Like I, I, I have three visions by breakfast, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but I'm not the one to go in. I'm not, I'm not building anything. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm in a final third of my life and, and, but I can see, uh, the promised land and I, and I can, I, and, uh, and I can look behind me and I see all the generation that's following me. And I see so many wonderful young men and women, uh, who have been touched by God, that God has raised up with a passion. And they just need equipping and formation, but they're wonderful. And I, I see young people doing creative things. I have great hope. I don't, I'm not discouraged or despondent at all. I mean, the Holy Spirit's moving around the world in great power, Africa, Latin America, Asia. Um, I think, you know, North America is in trouble, no question about it. Um, but the church isn't. The church is growing faster than probably ever before in its history. But we've got to be able to learn. We've got to be learning from the global church, especially the African church, the uh, in particular, the African church, I believe. And of course, the Latin American church in Asia has got so much to teach us. So it, we got to get out of this, you know, Americanized Christianity and understand we're part of a much more a global movement that God is doing. And, but I, I see so many traces of, of wonderful God in the next generation, Generation Zs uh, emerging. And, you know, I just see myself, I, I, I want to join many others like me, like you're doing to, to support and mentor and disciple and serve uh, the millennials and the X's and the Z's that are going to be, you know, we're leading the church and we'll be leading the church for the next 50 years. Awesome. Agreed. I'm very hopeful. God, God's got, God's on that. Agreed. No God's not surprised by this, but man, there's a lot of negative talk uh, today, but so many encouraging things, so many sparks. Um, and I'm spending more time with, um, younger millennials and Gen Z and seeing all kinds of new things that, that deeply encourage me. Last question, Pete, we always want to ask is what are some habits in this season of your life that are keeping you healthy? Very different season, I'm sure, than, than when you're raising young kids and pastoring and those pressures. But what habits are anchoring you in this season? My, I, I live by, you know, a, a monastic rule of life. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so it's really the same, similar <clears throat> Uh, habits of, you know, I do daily offices three to four times a day. Uh, Silence is a big part of my offices and time with Jesus. Sabbath, ex- and doing, I'm doing another sabbatical. My fourth sabbatical is coming summer. So I, just, I have certain rhythms that are built in. I work a five-day week. and uh, Like, for example, I'm writing right now, but I'm going to have a Sabbath. I'm not going to write on my day off. I'm, my marriage is my number one priority after Jesus. Uh, cultivating a marriage, that's a sign and a wonder, out of which we love our children. We have a couple of grandchildren now. And so, you know, actually it's the same, I say, since I got on this journey, you know, 24 years ago, uh, it's been a similar structure in terms of some of the riches of monastic life, embracing limits as a gift, uh, and living out of a marriage that's of high quality. Like I, and then, I had the time left over. I, I, I give to, to the blessing to the world with my few loaves and fishes. Uh, but I'd say it's a day by day uh, walk. And I sure don't want to get sloppy like David did when he ended up after 40 years and messing around with Bathsheba and killing Bathsheba's husband. Uh, and, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I walk with him one day at a time. And uh, I'm excited about the future and what he may have for me. Uh, but I love the season I'm in. I wouldn't change it for anything. And every season's got its wonderful, great moments. But 
Yeah, we're we're in a great, great season. I... But I would say my our silence and my marriage <clears throat> and the monastic riches that we integrate to our lives is, is is quite core to who we are, Jerry and I, and how we live. Well, Pete, I'm grateful for you, for your impact on me and so many other leaders, and um, just praying many, many more seasons of of impact. This message is so crucial right now, and I've said it before in the podcast, I don't know that we would get to do what we do walking alongside of leaders if you hadn't first sort of opened the floodgates for leaders to begin to explore some of our unhealth and our dysfunction. So thanks for that. How can people track along with you and learn from you online? Yeah, I, I just go to, I, I would go to emotionallyhealthy.org, go to our website and look at, look around there and look into the Emotional Discipleship course for sure. I, uh, I, I would, that's probably our, our attempt at getting at the missing pieces of discipleship, Emotionally Spirituality, Emotionally Relationships course. Look at that material. Look at the Emotionally Leader book, which is probably my last book to really get at uh, the inner life of a leader. Uh, that was my kind of summation of the 26-year journey. Uh, after I stepped down from being lead pastor, and I, yeah, just, you know, check out the podcast, our podcast, Emotionally Leader Podcast, and just kind of dive in and, and search around as part of your journey. That's what I would recommend to your, your folks. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Pete. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Al, and God bless you. Look forward to receiving your books and looking through them. And blessings to you and this ministry. Uh, very, very, very exciting. So I look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks. Wow. So much to unpack from that interview with Pete. I would encourage you, if there's somebody that comes to mind, maybe somebody that you are concerned about, somebody who you're in relationship with, just drop down, get that link, and send it over to them to listen. Maybe you listen through that with your team. Guys, this is so important. And by the way, I don't know that we would exist as Stay Forth Designs if Pete and the Emotionally Healthy team would not have gone ahead of us and had this message. Guys, we are so passionate about this message that you can lead healthy. There are so many carnage stories in the news, so many stories of leaders losing it, and the big articles and the blow-up stories. Guys, I don't believe that's the norm. There are so many healthy leaders out there. We just don't hear about them. And so if you are leading healthy right now, keep going. Our team at Stay Forth wants to encourage you in that. But I want to encourage you to take a moment before you turn this off, if there is something under the surface of your life in leadership, please talk to someone about it. If there's something that's off underneath the surface of your life in leadership, please talk to someone about it. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's somebody else in ministry that you feel like you can trust. Maybe it's time for you to go see a counselor or a therapist. But if there is something off, it will make its way above the surface. I am just so grateful for Pete, for his books, for his speaking, for his leadership, and the message that he ultimately has offered to the church, that we can and we need to be emotionally healthy if we're going to lead. Guys, thanks for listening. We love, love, love hearing from you guys. So if you want to leave us a rating and review, that would be great. If you want to send us a message, head on over to stayforth.com and shoot us a message about what you're learning. We'll catch you on the next one. Shot, 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 shot. We ain't focused so long.